from Double Door Studios at Manassas National Battlefield Park. I'm Nikki Bland. And I'm Franny Robin. This is A Different Truth. A Different Truth can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like and follow us on those platforms. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and a review. That helps us get more views and show up in more searches. You can also check us out at our website, adifferenttruthpodcast.com. We will share resources and information on our website and social media platforms, where you can also send questions, comments, and ideas for future podcasts. We really want this to be an interactive engagement with our listeners, so please let us hear from you. Thanks again for listening. In this episode, we sit down with acting Prince William County Police Chief Jared Phelps to talk about the events of 2020, protests, and how the department is engaging with the community. He also discusses what makes this police department unique and shares his perspective on how we can come together and be better every day. Good morning. It's an early Saturday morning and we are so excited to be in the studio with one of um, our fellow law enforcement officers within Prince William County that we've come to admire and respect and we're so happy to have him in studio with us. Officer Phelps, welcome! Yay! Thank so you. we're we've um, we've gotten to know you a little bit this year. Um, we saw you speak at the protests um, end of May. Early yeah, June. Uh, that would have been uh, May thirty first for that one. Yeah, uh, the first time. Right. Um, it was that was the we've we've spoken about this before on the podcast. That was um, the event at the um, Walmart on Liberia in Manassas mm-hmm. where. Um, you and other law enforcement leaders in our community, Chief of City of Manassas Police, Chief King, mm-hmm. um, spent four hours dialoguing with um, citizens of our community, and you know, really fielding some tough questions, some really um, pointed, um, I guess, inquiries into what are we doing as a community? Mm-hmm. What are you all doing? Um, what are your policies? How do you hold your officers accountable? All of that. I mean, yeah. you didn't shy away from anything. Um, and I, as somebody who's lived here for 44 years, uh, I didn't know a lot of that. Okay. And guaranteed the part of that comes from a position of privilege where I haven't engaged with law enforcement as much. I mean, yeah, I've had a few tickets, but, um, <laughs> You know, uh, just my own perspective, I didn't, it's not something I had to concern myself with in the way that everybody does. So um, that was really interesting to me. And then you and I were on a panel together um, for, on a, um, behind the, behind the sign event in Haymarket that Dre Stokes and his group of friends put together um, to really talk about different aspects of community education, law enforcement, um, several other things that... Really, the idea was, which is very much the heart behind this podcast, to empower people with information, give Mm -hmm. them the tools and the resources, help point them in the direction to find information other than on your favorite Facebook meme, which usually isn't right. No, that is correct. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, we're really excited to have you. So thank you so much for coming. Mm -hmm. I know you're super busy, so we'll get right into it. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the position that you're in now? Okay. Um, well, I, uh, I grew up in Prince William County. Uh, my mom uh, actually was an officer with the police department um, back in 76, 78 era. And uh, she, she was there for about five, six years or so before as a single mother raising two kids. She, uh, she needed to do something else um, because back then police work and the scheduling was a lot more difficult. Um, we think it's difficult today. It, it was even more difficult then because it was seven days. Their, their work schedule was just extremely long and uh, a lot of different, uh, we've evolved. It's, uh, so it was challenging. Um, so, but uh, she got in back into police work uh, later in her career. And uh, so I've always been around that. Um, my my father was in the military, so that's what landed us here. So mm-hmm. I've actually been in the county 
off and on uh, since 1976, I believe. Um, so, and uh, so I kind of tell people that uh, I've been part of this department pretty much since then because mm-hmm. uh, most of the when I got hired, most of the you know, the, the command staff they 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 remembered me when I was little yeah. and and running around and uh, probably causing havoc. I'm, <laughs> but. Um, but it, it, it's good. It, it it gives me a different perspective. I think um, we've got a lot of legacy uh, officers on the on the department, and while every single person is extremely committed, it, it gives a little more personal feeling mm-hmm. um, when when you've been part of the department. You, your parents have been there, right. uh, and you're still part of the community at the same time. So, I got. Um, uh, I have a, a sister, a half sister. Uh, she uh, a little older than me. Uh, we're, we're, we're close, and uh, she's been. She had an incident uh, years ago that kind of had a, uh, a dramatic effect on on my family, um, to where uh, she was framed for uh, an embezzlement when she was working for a bank, mm-hmm. and uh, the, uh, the the officer who investigated the the case. Um, have done much better mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll just kind of portray it like that mm-hmm. um but she ended up being charged out mm-hmm. of that whole thing and uh, there were a lot of a lot of issues um from my mother's standpoint she was an officer um and, and she kind of knew things and having to go through that and the impact that that had on my family um it, that's kind of shaped how I do my job mm-hmm. um and the fact that yes when people do bad things we we need to do th- uh we need to you know, through the process and, and potentially have to arrest people, but we need to make sure that what we're doing is right first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that, that's kind of shaped how I've done my job throughout my career. Uh, I, I came on the department back in, uh, 19 January, 1996 after, uh, graduating from James Madison university. And, uh, I've been, I worked on the West end mostly, um, in my early years. And then I got, uh, selected as a, member of our full-time bicycle team mm-hmm. and so I went to the east end and worked on the east end for uh, a little bit uh, before uh, I decided I wanted to try and teach so I became an academy instructor mm-hmm. um, and then from there I think I was there for about three years and it was that was a great job having an impact that that you have on the development of officers and then I got promoted to, to sergeant I went back to the bike team um, and uh, again, getting into the communities, um, we we were we were dealing with a lot of quality of life issues mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of different communities, uh, and we, we got there's a lot of things that go in and you know, go on in a community that just people don't understand, they don't see, right. um, and and that was the purpose of the team was to uh, and, and as far as engaging with the community, but dealing with the individuals that are causing the most problems in those communities that's that's what we were there for mm-hmm. and uh, we, we had some um, some significant cases uh, that helped in uh, trying to bring some 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 safety back and the feeling of safety back in those communities mm-hmm. uh, I, that's how I portray I see it mm-hmm. um, then I got promoted first sergeant came back to the West End lieutenant I went into CID for a little bit uh, Realize that criminal investigations really isn't. <laughs> it's not like it is on TV. You no, know, right? it's not like what it is on TV. It's, it's, it's not all solved in an hour. No. Right? Um, I oversaw the school resource officers uh, and mm-hmm. uh, our special victims bureau for a while, and uh, those type of cases are extremely challenging. Extremely challenging. You're dealing with a lot of uh, children as victims. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of crime that is it, it, it's physically effective and not only emotionally um, against uh, the victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I didn't investigate those cases, uh, reading the cases, hearing the, the status is it's very challenging. And uh, those I, I my hats off to those type of those detectives because uh, when you when you deal with crimes that are such of a personal nature like that, um, I mean we also think we, robbery, homicide. Those are those are personal. And they end up, uh, especially with homicides, they take somebody's life away. But the victims, when you when you deal with cases of physical abuse or sexual assault, mm-hmm. the victims still have to live. Yeah. Um, they they and they feel that every single day. And uh, the the detectives that work those cases, um, they really understand that and uh, trying to help the victims and find closure, yeah. um, at least on the, the criminal side and mm-hmm. um, working uh, as a group in uh, the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Uh, they're, they're phenomenal with, with those type of cases, mm-hmm. with everything else, but right, specifically yeah. That's those. a so, special yeah, it type is. of 
trauma. So yeah. that, that kind of it gave me a, a good perspective, I think. And then uh, I went back um, back over to special operations and did event planning. I, I was on our national incident uh, national capital regions incident management team for mm-hmm. a while. So dealing with large scale events. Um, we had the Tiger Woods golf tournament here. Uh, I dealt with the police matters. And then uh, also the police and fire world games. Uh, I kind of helped quarterback all that from mm-hmm. the police perspective. So I, I really enjoyed the event management mm-hmm. piece. And then um, I got uh, promoted to captain and uh, went back out to the academy again as the director for a very short period of time mm-hmm. uh, before uh, Chief Menard decided that he wanted to. He promoted me to major and, and kind of been going from there. And yeah. I, I got promoted deputy chief in November, uh, and then. About April time frame, <laughs> uh, Chief Bernard decided that uh, it was time after yeah, after yeah. 44 years of, of wow. serving the community, um, it, it was time for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I've been acting chief since then, wow. and uh, I, I kind of got thrown into fire. It's it's trial by fire right now. And <laughs> acting chief since April uh-huh. and the end of May. Yeah, and the, the world the world blew ended up. in yeah. January. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Deal with the world, you know, the pandemic, yeah. and then yeah. all of a sudden, wow, okay, we got We're in uh, the apocalypse, so welcome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, um, mm-hmm. wow, all, all the, the experiences that you've had. I want to pick up on some of the things that you shared, mm-hmm. but um, before I, I, I pick, um, ask more in-depth question mm-hmm. about the quality of life um jobs that you guys were doing and then um resource officers in the school i want to i do want to talk about that but i want to get your um take on what you've experienced Mm -hmm. since you've been uh selected as the acting chief because i I believe in march is Mm -hmm. when life started spiraling downwards Mm -hmm. um after the pandemic went into place and then all these other uh life issues dealing with requiring justice as a result of police brutality. And we'll talk a lot about that, but what has been your experience with your, in your role as Mm -hmm. a law enforcement officer with other officers and then with the community at large? So my experience with officer, I, I've always tried to, um, and I focus more so now is our job is nothing about the relationships that we build. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's uh, with other officers or other jurisdictions or within the community. It's about the relationships. That's what this job is about and trying to, to build that. So my experience with officers is, uh, I think it's been very positive. They understand, um, uh, this police department, the members there are so committed to, to doing the right thing, um, that, uh, they're very passionate about that. And, uh, they want to make sure that, uh, we get the individuals that need um, that are that are causing the most harm for our community. That that we're, we're taking care of those individuals. That we're yeah. getting them out of uh, society. That we're, we're dealing with, uh, or making those arrests. That if they need to be taking care of the citizens and the residents, I should say, um, of the county, um, mm-hmm. because we we don't want people to be victimized. And uh, there is a lot that goes on that a lot of people just don't see. Um, yeah. And 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 it's not part of a larger conversation. And the fact that we port every single crime out there, because right. uh, it it just it would be a lot. Um, I mean, we we uh, handle over uh, two hundred thousand uh, calls for service in a year, and uh, while not every single one of those is a crime, yeah. um, that's still a lot of what goes on in this in this community for a population of almost four hundred seventy thousand, um, and and that's split across here. So it's uh, they're busy and. Um, at times, um, it can be stressful for them. Um, they, they express that, that frustration. And mm-hmm. uh, my job, I see, is to um, ensure, obviously, from a policy standpoint, that we're, we're doing the right thing, and, but also to reinsure them because uh, as an officer, they, the way I, I kind of portray it is they spend 90% of their time dealing with 10% of the population. Um, they and 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 those ten percent that they're dealing with are people who are in crisis. Yeah. Um, they're dealing whether it's a mental health crisis, it's a physical crisis of any kind, mm-hmm. cr- crash, assault, that type of. It, it's a physical crisis, uh, financial crisis. We 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 deal with a lot of p- other people's problems, and that's a lot of negativity for an officer right. to to handle on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you open up social media, um, 
what it, unfortunately um, people focus on the negative in social media. When, when a majority of, at least from my experiences and looking through it, it's a lot of negativity. So, mm-hmm. and um, and if you have issues at home, there's a lot of negativity there. So, getting away from that negativity and finding reinforcing on that, there are people who respect who in who like what we do yeah um they respect what we do they want us to keep doing what it is yeah um while yes we don't get it right all the time um and we we continue to work on those issues um the overwhelming support of the community is there and trying to get them to see that and Mm -hmm. i don't think i actually myself experienced that until i started uh, getting up higher in the ranks and having more of a positive interaction with community members um because I was dealing with a lot of the negativity. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, when you're in there, it's hard to see that you're because you, you're just overwhelmed with all right. the all the information and everything that you're doing. And uh, so in, until you get that, be able to step back away from it, you're, it's harder to see that. Yeah. So but that, that's what I've been trying to reinforce with them, that the, the, the community does support you. And uh, and then finding that balance as well as listening to the community, talking with the community. Uh, hearing their concerns, trying to explain why things may occur the way they do. Uh, because like now, um, when people see something, it sparks an emotion. I don't, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. It sparks some emotion and, and their right. thought process is, well, okay, well, that's wrong. Well, yeah, it could be, but just because that's the way you think it is, doesn't mean legally that it's, it's wrong. Right. So and it, it's having that hard conversation was, well, well, yeah, it may not be, to your standards wrong or it could be to your standards wrong but to my standards are different sometimes um but what the law actually allows things to happen because the law is actually a a little lower than what most people's expectations are Mm -hmm. and um it's a lot of people don't understand that and when i when i sit and talk with people it's like well this is what the law allows us to do well why can't you do x y and z law doesn't let me do that so Mm -hmm. I, i can't go above or beyond what the law allows on certain things and um so when it comes down to just uh, educating the the the, uh, the citizens as far as why we do things um and and, and under helping them understand uh, that their police department is is doing the right thing mm-hmm. um for the right way and yes we make mistakes we all do we're all human and that, yeah. that's that's like another piece that I don't think a lot of people understand is that we're, we're humans just like everybody else. Yeah, and, yeah. But there is that higher level expectation because of our training, of our experience, mm-hmm. that we can't be wrong. And I'm fine with that bar. I'm fine with because we only get one shot of being of being right, right. I mean, and a lot of times. Um, and, and that's what we should be striving for is making ten, make, that we rise, rise up to that bar. Mm-hmm. We don't keep that bar down here and just say, well, okay, it's, it just is what it is. No, we should be improving every single day and keeping up that bar. So I think that we talk a lot um, about two things. Mm-hmm. One is that we do tend as a hum, human race to put people into categories, right? right. So you're a police officer, you belong here, right, right in this category, mm-hmm. and and doesn't usually work that way. No. Um, and the other thing is that we get very hung up um, a lot of times on the binary, right? Mm-hmm. It's good, bad, it's right, wrong, mm-hmm. and most of the world is much grayer than that. Yes, it is. And <laughs> so breaking out of that mindset is mm-hmm. a real challenge for a lot of people, and it takes intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned something that I wanted, I thought might be another... Um, good thing to sort of baseline talk uh, you've talked about this before but you mentioned it here talk about the accreditation okay that our police department mm-hmm. um is in and I, I was reading i think it also applies to the training yes that our police uh new officers get so okay. so uh this is a, a credit to uh chief owens who was the police chief at that time and chief dean who picked it up uh, and carried it across the finish line but mm-hmm. the, the, under their leadership um, back in 1987, um, the Commission on Law Enforcement Agencies um, was was created. Well, actually, it was created in, in the 70s, but we became accredited in 87. But the, the commission is uh, was launched um, from the Police Executive Research Forum, uh, organizations like them, uh, Noble. The, the, the national level organization? It's a national, or? yeah. Okay. P- uh, Police Executive Research Forum is a, uh, a think tank, basically, in mm-hmm. D.C. Mm-hmm. that, that – 
they, they do research on a lot of best practices and, and what's going on in the nation and internationally now as well. Mm. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But Noble was part of that, uh, which is, is that, I'm sorry, N-O-B-L-E. Yes. Uh, it's the National Organization of Black uh, Law Enforcement Executives. Yeah. Um, which is a, a national organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, there's a two other organizations that, that, that the names escape me right mm-hmm. now, but they, they helped create this commission. And the, the thought and the idea behind that is that there should be standards, mm-hmm. standards that law enforcement uh, departments need to achieve to receive this accreditation process. So where it stands today, and we started in 1987, we got our first accreditation. Where we are today is that there are over 459 standards that uh, a department has to, we have to uh, show compliance with mm-hmm. in order to maintain our accreditation. And it's every four years um, they come in for an onsite, but they are looking at things every single year mm-hmm. and we have to prove it. And it's not just say, showing, okay, we have a policy for this. We have to show how we've complied with this. So whether it's so documentation, we, yeah, it's an yeah. audit every yeah. year, basically. Yeah. Um, and every four years, they do that on-site audit. And then that's actually a little more in depth because they're doing interviews. They're, they're hearing from the community. Do they um, go out with officers? They go out and they do right along. So they're observing what the officers mm-hmm. are doing. They're asking the officers questions about policy. Mm-hmm. Um, As a government contractor, I feel that fear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's not an easy process. Mm-hmm. Um, our credit manager we have to we have a dedicated individual who uh, works tirelessly every single day to show proof of compliance mm-hmm. and uh, so it, it, it's an ongoing process and uh, but we've been we've maintained that accreditation since 1987 right. so it's so it, every year you've passed an audit um, some whether at of, some level right and and if there are issues then we have an opportunity to fix mm-hmm. it and yeah, it and, doesn't and mean it's it. perfect exactly but, yeah. but uh for for the most part, I mean, we we we've we we make sure that we stay at that level because mm-hmm. it's very important to us. Um, only about two percent of the entire police departments in the nation are accredited, mm-hmm. so it's it's very rare. Manassas City is one that's another local one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief Keen is very proud of that as well, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just making sure that that bar is up here for us, and uh, it, it keeps us from you know falling into um, we're just going to do something because that's the way we feel like we need mm-hmm. to do it. No, we, we need to make sure that we're doing it the right way and we have a policy that, that addresses that. And it makes the job harder for police officers. It does because um, some you could just go out and do your job and just do what you think is right. Right. But the policies in place need to make actually ensure that what you're doing is yeah. right. So you have to know what those policies Absolutely. are. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it, that is one piece. Now, we've also, as a department, we're accredited. But there's other aspects as well is that our training academy is also an accredited mm-hmm. uh, function of CALEA. So our uh, our academy goes through the same process. They, they look at all their lesson plans, uh, what we're teaching, uh, and compares that to what the standards are, and we're accredited there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our public safety communications um which is uh, basically the 911 center, mm-hmm. uh, they're also accredited. So they have their own standards that mm-hmm. they have to go through, and they've been accredited for, for a number of years now as well. Uh, and then we just recently, it's not through CLIA, but we also have our, um, we have a, a forensics lab uh, where we, we analyze data, evidence and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, that lab is accredited as mm-hmm. well that we maintain. So it's, we're looked at, we're scrutinized quite mm-hmm. a bit, um, and we welcome it. We welcome people mm-hmm. to come in and, and, and take a look at it because, we, again, we want to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Right. And that, that goes back to that philosophy from what Chief Owens set out when he started this department in 1970 is that he wanted a professional police department to serve the residents of Prince William mm-hmm. County. And that goes from policy, and it, training is the big piece on that. It is the, uh, that's where it all starts. Yeah. You got to train them, train officers right, uh, in order for them to do the job correctly. And uh, we we have our own academy. Um, I was out there. I've I've experienced mm-hmm. that, and and then the commitment there in in how we train um, is, is tremendous. It absolutely I think is tremendous. you. I think I read too that um, there's a total of thirteen hundred hours of training required. Like I forget what the 
two aspects were like 900 hours at the academy, six mm-hmm. months, mm-hmm. and then another 400 hours in some field field training. Field training. Right. So, so is that? It's a nine month process. So for training an officer, um, mm-hmm. so it takes about four to six months to get through the application process. Mm-hmm. Um, so that starts with, and that process will uh, goes through. Uh, interviews. It goes through uh, a psychological um, testing, mm-hmm. a polygraph, um, the background investigation mm-hmm. uh, where we're asking uh, fam- family and friends, uh, previous uh, employers, mm-hmm. um, information about the, the candidate. And then that's all put into that package. And then once they're hired, they start the academy. And that's six months, mm-hmm. six months, Monday through Friday of constantly training. There's standards that they have to meet. And the practicals, they have to do a practical application of the standards. So they have to demonstrate, like if they're on a domestic, we actually do a role play exercise. Mm-hmm. And we don't just bring in anybody. We we hire actual residents from a, um, a temporary, um, one of these temporary solutions type mm-hmm. of companies. Mm-hmm. Well, they come in and they role play and they, they play uh, the, the, the aggressor or they play the victim. And they have to actually go through how you're going to handle domestic situation. Yeah. Um, and that, that those practical exercises are really what gives the officer uh, the experience um, to, because that's how you learn. Right. Uh, it's you, you learn a certain percentage by seeing, a certain percentage by hearing, but over, I believe it's like over 80% right. of what you learn is through hands-on application like doing, and right. doing things. So that is, uh, that's key there. So they go through that aspect. Uh, there's a state test that they have to take at the end of the six months mm-hmm. to pass that. And then once they've graduated, they, uh, they go into a field training uh, component, which is the 450 hours minimum, uh, which is well above the state. Mm-hmm. The academy training is well above the state requirements. Uh, so that's at least 45 days, 45 mm-hmm. working days. Now that covers about to get those 45 days based on our schedule. It's a little over three months uh, right. in order for them to do that. And that they're working with another officer, a seasoned officer who is basically just immediate supervisor for them, watching what they're doing, making mm-hmm. sure how they're doing it is safe and correct. Yeah. Uh, and then have, they have to demonstrate that proficiency before they're even cut loose. So. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost, uh, I mean, Could be nine, ten months. It's yeah. almost a year before we have an officer who is actually, I like to say, um, a productive officer where they you can let them go out. And, yes, they're going to have questions, but it, it's where they can just go out and handle calls or service without having to have somebody there yeah. holding their hand, making sure that they're doing it right. So last quick question mm-hmm. on this topic because I think it's really important for people to understand mm-hmm this this the piece process, of it who yeah. sets the standards who sets the policies how are those developed so dcjs which is the department of criminal justice services they have they're charged with setting the, the minimum standards okay. the minimum standards mm-hmm. uh, for certification of an officer okay and then that's minimum standards statewide so and uh, also for the accreditation of the whole no that's different the, the accreditation is, is a total separate organization okay. so um so by law dcjs uh, maintains the the minimum standards and what the testing, what we have to test on, all that stuff. Um, Now, from that, we make a decision as an agency to say, no, we're going to do more Mm -hmm. than than what that is. So uh, that's why our academy is so much longer. Mm -hmm. And there's other jurisdictions, Fairfax, that are about the same. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other uh, academies that that have close, but uh, there's other academies that have much shorter time because Mm -hmm. um, we are fortunate that we're able to do our own academy. Mm -hmm. So we can build more into the the program as opposed to having officers go to like a regional setting because then you've got to kind of teach to one standard and while every agency could be different so Mm -hmm. it's uh the regional academy is much harder as far as um trying to specialize in that training Mm -hmm. um but when you have your own academy like we do you're able to get that specialization you're saying that this is the prince william way of how we're going to do things um so they, they, we, we make that decision okay. and, uh, the, the FTO period, which is the field training aspect, um, that, that the state sets a minimum on that. And we exceed that as well, because that's just based on what we believe that in order to, for us to be comfortable mm-hmm. on, on how they're going to do things. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really appreciate that no detail. Yeah. Um, and one of the primary goals for me, mm-hmm. um, as we're doing this podcast is, to help people get a better understanding of what 
goes into becoming a law enforcement officer, okay. but also what happens once you become one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, there's so much that I want to ask. And um, I, I want to ask, and if you could explain, what is the most common misunderstanding that you encounter, your officers encounter um, with the community? But before, mm-hmm. I'll give you some time to think about that. Um, and just to, to piggyback off of what you mm-hmm. said, after law enforcement officers pass the test and they're, they're now given an assignment in this year, one of the things that I, I'm guessing, and I'm, I'll let you answer also, mm-hmm. is that you haven't been, um, we've never seen a situation where there's been continuous protests right. um, taking place and the demands and the, re- the requests that are coming out of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm going to th- uh, figure out, and you could explain a little bit about this, that it has been a different um, scenario for your officers and the response has been one of the things like you said earlier is trial by fire mm-hmm. so having to respond to that and earlier we before we started recording uh, I shared that one of the things that or, or the thoughts that I started having about law enforcement officers in Prince William County is after the second protest that from the Saturday night mm-hmm. at uh, Sudley mm-hmm. the second protest is one of the first times where I started having thoughts on, okay, wait a second, we can lead the efforts in our community, Mm -hmm. but we saw that with Pastor Josh. Yes. Uh, We can lead the efforts with our law enforcement officers Mm -hmm. to understand. And you said one thing at that protest, like Nikki said, you spent four hours and with the other law enforcement officers fielding questions, but there was a, a question that was asked and you said, we don't always get it right because a, a question was asked of you at, at the way you responded to a couple people the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, you know, uh, you, your response to that was, we don't always get it right. But mm-hmm. not, not just that. You said there are times when our response might be due to, one, lack of understanding, mm-hmm. lack of um, knowledge of cultural differences, mm-hmm. Lack of time to respond in the moment. And you, you itemized just a variety of things. But what stood out to me was your willingness to share all those things mm-hmm. and to also include a lack of understanding of maybe cultural com- understanding of people in the community. Absolutely. So with that said, so your officers, you know, got baptized by fire as mm-hmm. a result of these protests. Right. And a lot of times when, when our community, in the African-American community, fear mm-hmm. is a typical response and distrust right. of law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. So if you could just share, I know this is a loaded question, right? <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> but Warning. I want to <laughs> be very honest and I want our people, the people in the community to understand. Mm-hmm. There are times when you don't understand everything mm-hmm. and there are times when maybe the fear of law enforcement plays into oh, absolutely. What, what you know I, our experiences are. So if you wouldn't mind sharing the most common misunderstanding, mm-hmm. particularly within the black community okay. uh, and the exchanges that uh, how often takes place within with okay. law enforcement. And mm-hmm. then if you could share some of the things that have been taking place to understand that there are cultural differences, there are inherent mm-hmm. um, biases mm-hmm. uh, and systems that lead to that. And so just to educate, I don't want to, um, I'm not a person that has to do the extremes. I don't do the blue lives matter because I could have a relationship with law enforcement mm-hmm. and still, support black uh, i'm black so i'm gonna advocate for my life you can support both you can support both and i think for me that i've seen especially that you were talking about social media there's this common misunderstanding that you could do both so i don't want to lead in but i want you to share what you have experienced in the community so let let me talk about the uh the cultural um diversity aspect and and what we in the unbiased policing aspect real quick because the um we spend a lot of time training on that as well. We're required by state law to, uh, or by DCJS to have cultural diversity training, unbiased policing training. And we, again, exceed that as well. And uh, Prince William County, um, I, I'm going to, in my, and through my eyes, our diversity has, and when you look at the population growth, it really exploded um, to where one day it was, Okay, where we were, probably majority white community. Uh, and then it's like you, you blink. It was years, but when you blink, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. 
we're, we're now, um, people refer to Prince William County as majority minority. I don't like the term minority. I, I, I refuse to talk about it. I just say Prince William County is an extremely diverse community. Yeah. And that, it doesn't mean race. It, mean, it can mean ethnicity. It can mean financial. We are extremely diverse because yeah. we have millionaires in Prince William County, and we have a homeless population in yeah, Prince William right. County. We are extremely diverse. And when we sit and respond to a call for service, when I, when I show up on a call, I bring my experiences, my backgrounds, yeah. and everything else to that call. That's an already bias right then and there because that, I see life through my own lens, and I'm trying to apply the law in a very neutral manner and right. uh, in, in how I do my investigations by going determining what the facts are. On the flip side of that, whoever I'm dealing with, whether they're a victim or even a suspect, they see life through their lens yeah. and through their experiences. So police work is nothing more than an experience in human nature. It's, that's all it is and how we try to communicate with each other. And it, it's if we could communicate as, as a society, and yeah. we wouldn't have problems um, for, for the most part. But it, it's even more challenging because then you add the layer of the crisis piece that people are in. Um, whether it's fear or whether they're actually a victim or whatever that crisis may be because we are on scene. Um, and a lot of uh, because of our um, the, the diversity of our community, uh, there's a lot of whether they either have personal negative experience with law enforcement in wherever they came from, mm-hmm. um, whether it was another state, another country, it doesn't matter. They bring that or they just bring a uh, – an expectation because of what they've heard or what they've been told about law enforcement that that kind of sets things across. So what what we try to do is, I mean, it's just treating people as humans. I mean, when we have conversations, it should be about um, having direct conversation, treat you as as an individual with dignity and respect, and we we want to be treated that way as well. But at the same time, we have to also look through a lens of safety. And um, an officer's life, when they respond to the call, that is the first thing is making sure that scene is safe. And sometimes they're short. They, they have to be short. They're very direct in, 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 the, uh, in what they're doing, especially if they're going to a very dynamic situation. Domestic um, calls for service, those are very dangerous, extremely dangerous for a police officer because – you're dealing with people who are in emotional crisis at that time, and um, people don't think rationally when, right. when they're very emotional like that. So we, we, when, when we look at that at ends as far as safety first, that can set a lot of people off because we, we, we go in and it's very commanding. It's very, no, we're going to do this because I need to make sure the scene is safe. And people don't understand that sometimes. Well, it's my house. I'm going to do what I want. I'm sorry, not while I'm investigating this this domestic assault. No, it's not your house. Um, I'm going to make sure that this investigation, because the law says I have to conduct this investigation. And then, so I'm so sorry. Yep. So when uh, when someone places a call during a domestic dispute and mm-hmm. you go into that environment, mm-hmm. the, we have to check the welfare of the of the, everybody that's part of that thing. So you now become the. Uh, the authority yes in the environment so yes. I, I don't think people understand that exactly at all uh-huh. oh yeah no they're, they're automatically gonna right think. and and we've had um now it, it can't be just like we get called service of a domestic we get there and um the, the we, we don't hear anything or anything else like that we, we have to balance it there has to be an actual reason for us to um make to exert that authority so um if we show up on scene and somebody's opening the door and they're in tears and there's obviously something's going on there absolutely we we now become the authority and we have to do that but if we show up on scene and there's nothing going on um it's very casual and stuff like that we can be very quick about it and make sure everybody's okay okay well you guys need to do x y and z or that's our recommendation and then we, we're out of there, but we have to determine that, that no assault occurred um, because of domestic violence crimes that have occurred in the past and the way the, uh, the General Assembly has passed the laws. We are required to conduct an investigation with the domestic assaults, and if there is probable cause, we are required to make an arrest. We have no leeway in that So, um, because of domestic murders are so prevalent. Yeah, I think, too, um, just a little side note mm-hmm. – um, We've talked about, there's been a lot of discussion publicly about 
should police officers be the ones responding to every single call? And I think you even mentioned on the panel a couple months ago that you get all these calls and how many aren't even police matters, but right. there's nobody else to call. Correct. But I think my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, is to me it seems like you get a call about a child or a domestic issue, you know there's this other group of people to tap into, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's social services or, or child welfare or whatever. Right. I can't think of another type of call where it's like, oh, yes. And we we also, because we know it's this, you don't know what it is exactly till you get there. Correct. So who else are you going to bring? Correct. Those are the only two really clear ones I can think of mm -hmm. um, where you know it's not just police. Maybe it's police and child welfare. Maybe it's police and mm -hmm. social service. Maybe, and we, do, we do those joint investigations all the time. Right. We, we get a call and uh, for, for a child abuse case, and uh, usually it's uh, from social services calling us saying we, we have to do this investigation, and we have to, we're required to do a joint mm -hmm. investigation because they have to look at it from the uh, lens of the child's safety and, mm -hmm. and making sure that everything's right there. And if they need to go down their um, – their avenues with things and then obviously we need to look at the criminal aspects right. is has there been abuse or has there been an assault uh and insure from that aspect so yeah we do um joint investigations all mm -hmm. the time uh just like the the co-responder unit that we're we're setting up uh, for mental health crisis we're responding with uh, a therapist to to handle uh, calls mm -hmm. um so that we're getting services directly to the individuals at that yeah. time but the bottom line is nobody nobody else wants to go to that area until they know it's safe right so who's going to make it safe that's yeah. why they call us we we're, that's why we get involved in a lot of those cases so. well and i think it's you know when you think about some of the calls for and we're going to get to this later defunding the police mm -hmm. which yeah. means a thing that not everybody understands Correct. from my perspective um it's the people calling 911 who are giving the information that mm -hmm. gives the authorities, the understanding of how to respond. Like, Correct. what do we need in that situation? So the person on the other end is just seeing a thing and making an assumption, oh, this person's passed out drunk. Well, maybe they're having a seizure. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they don't know, mm -hmm. so they call the 911 and the police are called. Correct. So it's, it, I th just think it sounds, maybe I'm stating the obvious, much more complicated than just, you. Need, we need to have different people than the police responding. Done. Right. How do you do that? How do you right. know there's this... There's so many assumptions that need to be made in certain situations till you get there and can assess. Right. So when you look at any call for service, you're getting the perception of the person who's calling. Exactly. And majority of what police officers do are we're reactive in nature. We unless we're rolling through and just happen to be there at the right time at the right, uh, right place at the right time, everything we do is reactive. We are yeah. getting called to an area um, by somebody. So a lot of these uh, calls or, or, or complaints that we get is, well, they just showed up for no reason. No, there's a reason why we were there. We were called there, um, and we were given limited information. Uh, a lot of times, it, it, again, it's through the perspective of the caller mm -hmm. of that information, and that could be right, but it could be totally wrong. Mm -hmm. right. And our officers realize that. It's like, yeah, you're giving us information. This is what it could be, but in reality, it's it's – probably something totally different right. and, and yeah. trying to decipher that while we're there can, can be difficult sometimes. So you're, you're yeah. to your um, example of somebody who's uh, intoxicated and maybe passed out, that could be a medical issue. Um, but that's perception of the person who's right. calling in. Right. So, but those perceptions are now projected onto the police officer mm -hmm. because it's all they have to go on right. until that, they get there. They're, they're, the assumption is, is that that we made that assumption from the from the get go. When we didn't, it's the caller that did. So I'm not, and I'm not trying to place any blame anyway. It's just no. that's the information that we right. get, and uh, it's our job to decipher through that. And our call takers do a phenomenal job trying to elicit. Mm -hmm. But when you call nine one one, it's a voluntary system, so you can give as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, well, and, the whole, and that's very the whole point <laughs> is it's an you don't have four hours to you know interview somebody Correct. you got to get out there right. and yeah. and you know i don't you mentioned you know yes you guys are reactive you're reacting to the information you mm -hmm. have and what you see on the scene doesn't mean every reaction is appropriate so before mm -hmm. anybody thinks we're saying police aren't held accountable or mm -hmm. they shouldn't be held accountable that's not it at mm -hmm. all um 
certainly we see plenty on the media of mm-hmm. bad reactions Absolutely. from the police. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about um, in your experience? God, this is kind of mean, I guess, but <laughs> compare Prince William County police officer conduct mm-hmm. to some of the most inflammatory stuff we see in the media. Because I think, again, to our earlier point, mm-hmm. People see these snippets, right? These right. are the things that go viral, and then they're automatically painted across and applied to all police officers. Right. And and so just from a local perspective, for mm-hmm. our most of our listeners are local, mm-hmm. um, what is what are some of the statistics or information experiences of Prince William County police officers where okay. we've, you know, mistakes have been made or mm-hmm. not? I mean, what does it look like? Okay, so... Let me the the incidents that that occur nationwide. Uh, I don't care where it happens. Um, it could happen internationally. Actually, mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't matter when something bad happens. When somebody in a, in a police uniform does something bad, it has an effect on every single police department across the world mm-hmm. um, because people don't associate. Um, there, there's no difference. You wear a uniform. You enforce the law. You're you're the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's that, there's, there's, that, there's yeah. that broad stroke of mm-hmm. conduct, and um, and that's just something that we have to deal with because all they see is, and it doesn't matter what jurisdiction that you work for, or what type of law enforcement you're involved in. I could be a part of the sheriff's department, or a jail correctional uh, officer, or an actual street officer. They all they all get broad stroked when bad something bad happens. And, and but we we've come to come to grips with that. But the reality is, when if you ask any officer what they feel about that, they're going to tell you, I, "That's not that's not me. That's I, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I that I'm, I'm I'm appalled by that. That the murder of George Floyd was appalling. It was sickening to watch to know that somebody who wears a uniform." did that because when we take custody of somebody and, and and they're under arrest we're responsible for their safety just as much as everybody else so um they're they're in a vulnerable state uh, because they're secured and everything else we are charged to making sure that they get to the facility in a, in a safe manner um and we're, we we have to take care of them just like we take care of everybody else we just because they committed a crime doesn't mean we stop mm-hmm. treating them as a human. That mm-hmm. just that's not the way it's supposed to work. So when you, when you watch that video, it's it's a, it's appalling um, to to watch that somebody in a uniform just didn't care and do what we know is the right thing to do and and, and how to handle that mm-hmm. uh, that situation. So uh, and what's even more so is that other officers who are watching should have intervened and um, stuff like that. So. From, from our standpoint within Prince William County, you talk to any one of those officers, and I've been very vocal about that with them. People ask you about it. You tell them. You tell them how you feel about that because that's what they want to hear. I don't think people really want to hear me. I, I really don't. I think uh, while I get invited to talk all the time, uh, I don't think they want to hear what I have to say. I think they want to hear what the patrol officer has mm-hmm. to say, the officer who's working these calls because they're the ones – that are on the line, um, the, the more so than I am. So, um, and I, I, that's what I tell them. It's like, you, if you get asked, share it, share how you feel about it because they want to know. Um, so when it comes to accountability, we have always had a, um, and it wasn't specific wording, but we've always had in our, in our general orders, a line about how you have to intervene. Uh, it was under a conduct unbecoming type of um, mm-hmm. uh, policy. I have since pulled that out and specific wording and had a duty and intervene um, uh, policy that's specific wording for that. Meaning but it's, officers have a duty to intervene if when, they see if other they, officers? If they see another officer okay. engaging in misconduct or illegal activity, um, they have a duty to intervene to stop that. Um, so if it's an excessive use of force, they have a duty to intervene to stop that force. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's in our policy, um, and we we're con- um, we're doing training right now. It's peer intervention training to that effect to, to discuss those issues. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look around the room, and you ask the questions. It's like, yeah, we, 
it's a no-brainer. Yeah, of course we have a duty to intervene right. because it doesn't matter. Um, wrong is wrong in, in law enforcement, and if an officer's doing something wrong, I'm sorry, you're you're tarnishing my badge that I wear, and those I'm a, the officers will be the first ones to say something before I even get a chance to mm. to weigh in. That's that's how I have seen things, and uh, because they take everything to heart here is how they do their job. Does that happen a lot? Do we see a lot of officers? No, um, we don't. We don't. Um, not within Prince William County. Does it happen? Absolutely. Okay. Um, has it happened? Yes. And uh, I'm sorry, just to clarify, it being conduct unbecoming. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've had instances of, force, of um, the excessive use of force, that is that is rare, very mm-hmm. rare. Um, in Prince I, William County. In Prince William County, okay. yes. Um, I, it just, it's extremely rare. I, I don't know the, the, the statistics of that, but I... I cannot recall, but maybe one incidence, and that officer is no longer here, where that would happen, and and we initiated that. It wasn't something that the citizen did. It was something that we looked at and said, nope, we're not playing with that game, and mm-hmm. we're, we're, we handled it um, on our level. Mm-hmm. So we're officers, and, and when we look at things, they're, they're the first ones to, to report it, and then we investigate it. So when that investigation occurs, it's it's a thorough one, and then the every single level of supervision is looking at it. I look at every single investigation, every single use of force to ensure that it's within policy and that it was done and it was reasonable, mm-hmm. reasonably objective in accordance with case law, because uh, that's the standard, reasonably objective. It's not a, this is what somebody feels they should have done or done something else. Uh, how I handle something is totally different than what another officer would, would have done because my training and experience is different than theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could have an officer who is a black belt and is very familiar with wrist locks or, and, and stuff that can get them out of a situation, or I can have an officer who just doesn't have that background and may have to do something different in order to deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. So the standard is reasonably objective. It's given the current, uh, that officer's training and experience in an equivalent, is it re- is their actions reasonable? Yeah, right? it would be not, different. Reasonable would be different for a black belt versus a non-black. It, it belt. could be right. yes. absolutely. Right. Um, but it, but you got to compare it to our, our training as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like a you can't say that you no know, you should have done this specific thing. Um, it, it it just goes to go like mm-hmm. that. It's what they did was it reasonable? And mm-hmm. if it's not reasonable, then it sparks a separate investigation, mm-hmm. and that's and that we go down that road administratively. Okay, one thing this episode is intended to convey is how important it is that we sit down with everyone involved in ensuring we continue to improve as a community. Join us next time as we continue discussing current events with Chief Phelps and understand what he's doing to hold Prince William County Police Department to a higher standard. This podcast was recorded at Double Door Studios in Gainesville, Virginia, hosted by Franny Robin and Nikki Bland. Produced and engineered by Kenny Bland. Original music by Ryan Robin. Original artwork by Ellie Bland.